Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Sutton service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Ah, good morning, Christchurch, and good morning, everyone joining us on Zoom. Hope you guys are good. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Shaninga, and I am married to the lovely Helen. And I've got two wonderful daughters, Layla, eight, the chairman of the board, and Tammy, four, also known as the boss. Um, because what she says goes, Tammy reminds me of a story I, um, I heard about a little boy who was sent to his room for being naughty. And um, after a while, he came out and said to his mother, I've been thinking about what I did, and um, I said a prayer. And she said, oh, that's good. If you ask God, he'll help you to be a good little boy. He said, no, I didn't ask him uh, to help me be good. I asked him to help you put up with me. And uh, that's Tammy in a nutshell, basically. Um, Right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for this community that is Christ Church Sutton. I pray, Lord, that your word has free reign this morning, that it's not about me and it's all about you, that your people have an ear to hear and a heart to receive what you have for them today. So we invite Holy Spirit into this place this morning and we simply say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 15 to 19. If you don't, don't worry. It should be up on the screen behind me in a minute. Um, So we're at the start of a new series called The Risen King. Um, The hope is that this series of talks will help us encounter Jesus's journey to the cross in the lead up to Easter, as well as understand the power of the resurrection in our own lives. So my job is to set the scene, set it off with today's talk called The Temple of the King. Uh, I'm going to read from our main text today. So Mark chapter 11 from verse 15 to 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. What a story. It, it's, it plays out almost like a, a scene from a Quentin Tarantino movie where the protagonist rides into town, you know, uh, causes a bit of chaos, creates some enemies, and then ducks out um, before sunrise. What a guy. But what's really interesting is the character it paints of Jesus. So up to this point, Jesus is almost seen as this quiet and unassuming man who is gentle, meek, and mild. But actually, Jesus was strong. He was a courageous man who had the guts to stand up to hypocrisy, injustice, and sin whenever he encountered it. But his actions now had gone way too far. You see, the temple authorities were all concerned. 
And this man from Nazareth had now become a direct threat to everything they held dear and to their living. So it's important to understand the background um, and the context of this incident as it ultimately led to Jesus' death. So I'm going to just break that down for you a little bit here. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem during Passover. Passover was a major event in the Jewish calendar. Now imagine the World Cup final being played at Carshalton Football Club. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? A lot of things would have had to go wrong for that to happen. But um, no offense, Carshalton Football Club. But uh, imagine the World Cup final and two and a half million people descend on Carshalton. Right? So that's what Jerusalem was like. It was heaving with people. Um, as an aside, this is probably my worst nightmare being surrounded by two and a half million people shoulder to shoulder. I'm like, ah, you can just imagine COVID walking around going, mm, yes, I have landed today. Today I'll eat, you know, and you're just like, oh, Lord. So now this being a major festival in the Jewish calendar, the law stated that every male should offer a sacrifice at the temple in Jerusalem as often as possible, especially at Passover, as well as pay a temple tax. So already you can imagine how busy the temple must have been 24-7 with people coming in, two and a half million people coming in to worship, to offer sacrifice, to exchange money. Um, it's the equivalent of those two and a half million people coming for the final. While we're having service in here where it's like manageable numbers, you guys are lovely people. Look at you. Look around. Look around. Just beautiful people. And then you've got all these hooligans coming through. You know, and disturbing our peace. You can imagine how difficult it must have been for people to worship, to pray, to go and do what they, they were supposed to do in the temple. Think of how big a deal it must have been when Jesus made this scene in front of all of these people. If this was today, Jesus would have gone viral immediately. Right? People would have pulled out their phones and he would have just gone. That message would have gone out across the world. So it was a big deal for him to, to do this at the time. There were a lot of Jews from all over the world that had come to Jerusalem for the festival. So it's reasonable to assume that they didn't carry coins that were used in the temple. So this problem was solved by setting up tables in the temple courtyard with money changers who exchanged temple money for foreign money. The problem we had here was that these money changers weren't exactly the most honest businessmen. They would exchange this money at an extortionate rate, so much so it grew into a racket and it would rip off the pilgrims um, with large profits being made at the expense of visiting worshippers. On top of that, the pilgrims brought their own um, animals to save some money and to save some time so they could sacrifice. But all of their animals would be examined. And if any of them had a little blemish, they would be rejected and they would have to buy from the temple. Oh boy. From the temple suppliers, um, again, at an extortionate rate. So you can just, you can, you can now picture the scene that we have here. And it's start, is it starting to bubble in you? I know it's starting to get me mad. You know, so you can, you can see why Jesus is starting to get angry here. So it was the selling of sacrificial animals for profit and ripping off the poor people coming to worship that got Jesus so angry and enraged to the point of driving everybody out of the holy grounds and accusing them of making the temple a den of robbers. 
but it went further than this. As the high priest and his cohort were also creaming off a commission from the money changers and animal sellers. This, this is reading like a proper Nollywood movie, for those of you that watch Nollywood. This is crazy, what's going on right now. Um, so Jesus was threatening their livelihood. They were rich at the expense of these poor pilgrims. Jesus was a direct threat, and he had to go. And if this wasn't enough, it wasn't just the financial aspect that were being considered here, but the political also. You see, the land was under the occupation and authority of Rome. And the Jewish practices in the temple were only tolerated as a means of maintaining peace and control. If this was upset in any way, the mighty hand of Rome would fall and result in utter disaster, as would happen 40 years later in AD 70, when the temple was completely destroyed by Titus. So the Roman authorities also now had a reason to dislike Jesus. So the scene set. The setting is the temple. Jesus has confronted the temple authorities and indeed the Roman occupier and his journey is set to lead him to the cross. It's awesome. Now, when I was studying this passage, one thing stood out for me uh, when I asked the question, why would Jesus do all of this? And it was there shouting at me. He did it to remind us of the true purpose of the temple. Believe it or not, but the purpose of the temple isn't to sit and listen to amazing sermons by Andy, a.k.a. Pastor Kunle. <laughs> or be moved by amazing musicians and singers, or even fellowship and make new friends. The purpose of the temple is to be a house of prayer. I know, right? Selah. Guess what? You became the temple the day you accepted Jesus into your life for those of you that have. And the Holy Spirit now lives in you. The purpose of the temple is to be a house of prayer. So what is a house of prayer? As far as I can see, there are two expressions as I understand it. The first is you are personally a house of prayer. After you receive Jesus Christ as your savior, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. For those of you that are taking notes, write, please write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And this was something that took me ages to try and understand. It took me ages. Um, but once I got it, I was like, okay, my body isn't my own. Therefore, all the actions that I do, how I interact with people, it all matters. How we are with each other, whether we walk in love, how we are at work, in our school places, in our communities, it all matters. The second expression is the church is a house of prayer. As we assemble together, we are the corporate expression of prayer. Matthew 18 uh, verse 20 says it this way. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 puts it this way. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Peter verse two, chapter 2, verse 5 says it this way. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The purpose of the temple is to be a house of prayer. And especially in these times that we're in right now. And what is going on in the world. I was talking to a friend of mine and I said to him, can you imagine what the world would be like if every Christian just stopped praying? And he said, I don't want to. I don't want to imagine what that's like. That's a, that's a, that's a horror movie that we don't want to see. So it's important that we as a body understand the power that comes when we come together and we pray together and we join our faith together to believe God, to move on this world that we live in. But let's remember what uh, made Jesus angry and caused him to turn over tables and throw them out of the temple. The temple was not being used for its designed purpose. So this then got me asking this question. What things have I allowed into this temple that do not honor my design purpose? So I remember struggling for a long time with the scripture that says, pray without ceasing. Without ceasing. Can anyone define that? Anybody? Pray without ceasing. That means all the time. I said, Lord... I will do a lot for you, but that one, I cannot, I cannot do that one. Pray without ceasing. It's very difficult. That means all the time. I was like, Lord, all the time? Man, I, I'm, I'm so busy. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a Christian, and I am a believer of Jesus. So I do the standard praying, you know, before meals. Snacks don't count. Before bed, you know. Before you get on a plane, because I don't trust the uh, pilots. I trust God, you know. So I did the standard, as most of us do. Um, but it's so interesting when you're put in situations where all you have is prayer. And that's when you realize the power of praying without ceasing. For those of you that don't know, our daughter was in the hospital last summer, and she was in a coma for six weeks. And during that period, I realized uh, what power there was in prayer. And not only as an individual, because there is power when you pray and when you throw your faith out there. But the power in corporate prayer, in understanding that there are other people joining their faith with yours to believe for something amazing to happen, for something miraculous to happen. And when I got that revelation, I was, I was happy, but at the same time, I was sad because I realized how much I'd robbed myself of by not spending more time in prayer. It was the regular communication 
clarity and peace that I found in praying all the time that really settled me. And it reminded me of a quote by a guy called Fred A. Hartley Jr. He says, if God wants us to pray without ceasing, it's because he wants to answer without ceasing. And I was like, absolutely. Now, now that I can buy into. I was like, yes, it's so true. That's exactly what it is. God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to meet us at our very points of need. And this is where community comes into it. And this is where understanding the power of prayer and what the house of prayer actually is. So how did I get back to the point of having a lifestyle of prayer after being, you know, this um, distinctly average Christian? And I still am very average, by the way. Um, Well, in true preacher fashion, I'm going to give you three keys Um, or three key things that I know have helped me that I hope can help you deepen your prayer life. The first thing that I did was pray through specific passages in the Bible. I remember when I first came to um, having a relationship with Jesus, I struggled with the concept of praying, partly because I went to a Catholic school and I was raised a Catholic, but that's another story. But I, I, I struggled with the words. I was like, I don't, I don't have words. I don't know how many people have been in that situation. Show your hands. It's just me. Oh, yeah, Sam. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate you, brother. Um, it's really tough. You know when you go to a church and someone says, oh, could you pray for us? And I was like, okay. Dear Jesus, God, thank you. Amen. You know? And I, I just I didn't know what to say. And it's, it, you do get to that point. And, and that's, that's a fact, you know? So, but... What, what I realized and what I learned was in the Bible, there are so many prayers. And praying through specific passages solves all of that. And what it does is it builds up your faith and it builds up your vocabulary when you're speaking to God. But I have to say, speaking to God is speaking to God. The way we speak right now is how you can speak to God. I don't know how you speak to God, but I speak to him in a very hip-hop way and he understands me. So don't judge me, Okay. He understands when I rhyme to him and I rap to him and he raps back. Yes, he does. We have uh, battles and he wins all the time, but it's all good. Did you know that um, in the Bible, God has already provided examples of prayer? Um, The obvious choice is the Lord's Prayer. You can find this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. This is a passage in which Jesus gave his disciples a template for prayer. The template touches on God's provision our witness to the world, and much, much more. So I do this prayer every night with my girls. And I remember when I started doing this with Layla, and she was about three or four, and I'm doing it now with Tammy, and she's four. And they start off by just repeating what you're saying. Haven't got a clue what you're saying, but they repeat it. And then there comes a breakthrough moment where they're like, oh, so I can now just talk. Because after we've said the Lord's Prayer, I say, Right, ask for, pray for whatever you want to do. And Tammy, she's great. She goes, dear Lord Jesus, dear God, dear God, dear God, dear God, dear Lord, dear God, dear God. And I'm like, okay, let's work on that, Tammy. <laughs> Say something else. She goes, uh, pray for Lexi. Thank you for Lexi. Thank you for my cousins. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm like, okay, how about me? You're going to pray for me? No? Okay, fine. 
I'll pray for you. Um, but now, you know, and then we got to Layla, who's eight and nine, and she's really praying for stuff. Like, she believes. I was playing basketball with her the other day, and she was losing because I don't let my children win. I don't know about you, but you've got to teach them to be tough. The world is tough out there. You need to learn how to lose, okay? So I was beating her badly, and then she prayed. She said, give me a second, Daddy. Jesus, please let me win. Let me, let me score one. Let me score. She prayed. She scored. And, you know, she won. You know, fair enough, Holy Spirit spoke to me and he checked me. But that's got nothing to do with it. Her prayer was answered, okay? Um, yeah, so pray, pray the scriptures. Pray um, the word of God. There are so many other examples in there and so many verses that you can pray. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6 is a great one. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and Ephesians has got a ton of them. You know, the whole chapter, verse, uh, the whole third chapter is full of the word that you can pray. The second thing that you can do is use a journal for your prayers. Sometimes it can help to pick up a journal just to write down our prayers. Writing can keep you focused. For all the writers out there, you will um, attest to this. And it can also help you process what's happening in your life and how to pray about it. Um, so grab your favorite journal, favorite notebook, calm your mind, and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and write down what comes to your heart. Once you've reflected on your prayer requests and written them down, Pray through that list. You can also record encouraging thoughts, scriptures, or words that come to you during your prayer time. Um, your prayer journal will soon become a cherished reminder of God's faithfulness and the many answered prayers in your life. It will build up your faith. Um, we have, I have loads of prayer journals, and I love going back in them and seeing the things I've prayed for and how they've come to pass. It, it's, it's, um, it makes this faith walk that we're in more than a notion. It's real. God is real. God is in the business of answering prayers and he will answer your prayer. Just make a note of it and trust me, when you look back, you'll be like, wow, God is so good. The third thing that you can do uh, is remember that prayer is worship. Remember, prayer is a way of worshiping God. It's one of the ways we give him glory and honor in our lives and in our circumstances. Worship is a posture of the heart. When we worship God, we're reminding ourselves of his greatness and majesty, his power and his goodness. As you're preparing to pray, try turning on your favorite worship playlist, whether that's uh, Hillsong, Bethel, or some Christian hip-hop. Don't laugh, okay? James. Or it could be Christian rock. We're part of the men's, um, I'm part of the men's, Sutton men's um, WhatsApp group. And somebody posted on there some heavy, heavy rock Christian music. I thought a demon had taken over my phone. I said... Lord God, is this for real? And sure enough, they're Christian. So I listened to some of, I was like, yeah, they're saying Christian words, but eh, I don't know about some of these voices that they're coming out with, you know, it's like roaring into the mic. And I said, wow, there's something for everybody. 
So I can certainly worship God through hip-hop. Thank you very much. Um, and, uh, you know, so turn on your, your favorite worship playlist or read through your favorite passage of Scripture. Calm your mind and heart. Then surrender your time to God and turn your focus on Him. There is power in prayer. And remember you are a house of prayer. This is a house of prayer. I've got a quick story for you. In May 1940, Adolf Hitler unleashed his troops against France and Belgium. Some of you might know this story. The Allied troops in the Nazis' path were surrounded by Germans on three sides of them and with the sea behind them. The Allies were trapped and everyone knew it. The German high command boasted at their troops, boasted that their troops were proceeding to annihilate the British army. And the Prime Minister at the time, Winston Churchill, was preparing himself to deliver the news that more than 300,000 soldiers had been captured or killed. Now, that, he needed faith. He, he obviously, he hadn't prayed enough, Andy. Um, didn't believe. But someone did. Late that month, King George VI called for a national day of prayer. The British people devoted themselves entirely to prayer for the day. Congregations swelled and queues formed outside churches. At the same time, the military decided to evacuate all the soldiers it could. Unable to field enough military ships to carry all the endangered troops, a call went out asking for the aid of any vessel willing to cross the English Channel and assist in saving the trapped men. More than 800 vessels answered the call. Even as the Allies raced to mitigate what seemed like a certain catastrophe, Hitler called his troops to a halt. For three days, Nazi tanks and soldiers stood idly by as the Allies frantically evacuated their men. At the same time, poor weather grounded the Luftwaffe and allowed Allied soldiers to reach the beaches and the evacuation without hindrance. The evacuation itself took place on an unusually, uh, on unusually calm seas. The miracle of Dunkirk was just that, miraculous. To this day, historians are baffled as to why Hitler suddenly called a halt to his advance when victory was all but assured. The German generals themselves were clueless as to why they were not allowed to chase down and obliterate the Allies. What an incredible example of the power of prayer and how God moves. When the temple is used as a house of prayer, amazing things happen. The world is changed. Can I ask Matt and, and the band to come back up? That story should encourage us as believers that all this stuff that is going on right now in the world, all the different wars that are happening, God can still come in and God can shift. As Andy was praying earlier, we believe that God can do uh, an amazing thing. God can move on the hearts of people. And this is what we need to believe as the house of prayer. In these uncertain times that we're in, as we lead up to Easter, 
It's so important that we know why we're here and what we're here for, both as individuals and as a collective community. The only way to find out is to spend time in prayer, to seek God's face, to listen to his words, and to act on his instruction. Prayer was the connection of intimacy that Jesus left behind when he came to earth. He was modeling this for his disciples and for us to follow as he restored the relationship for us with the Father by his death and resurrection. Can I ask you to just stand to your feet? So let's pray. We are a house of prayer. You are a house of prayer. Let's join our faith together and really believe that God is going to do an amazing thing in this world. He's going to do an amazing thing in this community. He's going to do an amazing thing in your individual lives and in the lives of people that you come into contact with. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and we thank you for this word that you gave us today. You have given us grace to bring our prayers to you, Lord. And you promise that when two or three agree together in your name, you will grant their request. We ask that you fulfill that now, Lord. Our desires and prayers, we bring them to you, Lord. And we thank you that you will meet us at our very point of need. Father, grant us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the world to come, life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.